There's nothing I would do to uh, spoil that mood, and so I will just read another scripture that has just been handed to me. This is, this is from the book of TRG, verse 844. It's a green Monte Carlo, and, and it's a very short verse. It says, your lights are on. That's, again, the book of TRG, verse 844, your lights are on. If you would turn to 1 Peter, uh, yeah, 1 Peter chapter 4, basically what we're going to do is just go right on down, verse by verse, and I'm going to share with you. By the way, I, I, I feel real bad about delaying tonight's services. Um, we never cancel. We only delay. Uh, Especially since I know Sutton's blessed their hearts. They didn't take a vacation because they wanted to. They wanted to stick around to, to spend their first nights with the kids. You know, they're they're going to be the junior high. I'm sorry, you guys, but it's just everybody's so excited about this hurricane thing. You know, I don't know whether people just like to get. We used to do this in Indiana with tornadoes and snowstorms. Everybody just loves to get all riled up. Never comes through. I haven't seen anything stronger than a Texas dew so far down here. But it never come, But people love to get all excited and stay in and hide and buy water and you know say this is gonna be, you know go to. This. I went to the store yesterday. My wife made me go out and buy water, and said, "Boy, this is gonna be horrible." And so I'm standing there with this dumb water. But there's 50 of us, you know, standing there with water, going, Are "You ready for anything? I'm ready for anything." Man, it's just. But people love to get all psyched up, don't they? So anyhow, we don't know that anything's gonna happen, but just. Uh, um, just out of respect for your excitement, uh, we want <clears throat> we want to start next week, and we and, and y'all come next week because you'll be glad. Um, I'm going to read the first couple verses of this out of the out of the uh, uh, Phillips translation because this has the most accurate translation as as to uh, what the Greek is really saying. It says this. Now, don't don't read out of your Bibles. You you listen to what the Phillips says. <clears throat> Since Christ had to suffer physically for you, you must fortify yourselves with the same inner attitude that he must have had. You must realize that to be dead to sin inevitably means pain. Now, this is the part I want you to hear. When, when it says, for he who suffers no longer is in sin, Christians get the wrong idea, and we think that the more we suffer the better we are. That's not what the Bible is saying. What the Bible is saying is that to be dead to sin inevitably means pain. And you should not therefore spend the rest of your time here on earth indulging your physical nature, but in doing the will of God, and so on and so forth. Now I'll read the rest uh, out of another translation later. But the first thing I want to tell you is that the Bible tells us to get rid of our old nature what is impure passion? Get rid of our old nature by choosing. See, that's what Christ did, and that's why he had to suffer. He chose us over what he could have had. He chose the loneliness of the cross over the multitudes. He chose abandonment over what the devil first offered him in the... In the uh, 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 temptation in the wilderness, I give you the whole kingdoms of everything on earth. Remember when the devil offered it? 
He chose a, the abandonment of the cross because He loved us over that. And what the Bible is saying is that you have to make a choice. You must, is the words in the Bible, you must fortify your inner nature with the same thing He must have had in His. It's available to us too, you know. And it says, you must realize that in this choice, you're going to have some pain. Now, I wish we could get off this thing as Christians about how Christianity is just so much fun. I, I just wish we could just leave that behind. Sometimes Christianity is fun, and sometimes being with other Christians is fun, but Christianity is not fun. And if you are joining the Christian movement to have fun, folks, you got on the wrong boat. Because Christianity means that you're going to be separated from some things that you just loved in your past. And let's not, let's not just overdo it here and say that, that all those things we experienced in our past, all the things that are named in there, all that carousing and all of that, that drunken orgies and all of that kind of stuff, let's not just say, wasn't that horrible? Because you know, those of you who went through it, you remember? It wasn't too bad. <laughs> I mean, it was okay. You, don't you, you know, when people give their testimonies, a lot of times they'll stand up and they'll say, these are the most horrible times of my life. Oh, getting high on drugs and, you know, da, 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 da. I won't go into all the rest of it because we got young people here, but, oh, it was just horrible and I was just miserable. Well, in some ways, yeah, it's an empty kind of existence and you realize after a while it doesn't lead to anything. I'll get that into a, in, in a minute. But, folks, I want you to realize that that's not too bad. I mean, it, I mean, it doesn't. It feels good. If it didn't feel good, you wouldn't be doing it, because that's the way you live life when you're in the world. You do what feels good. The, the the sticker, if it feels good, do it. That's the world's motto. And so, I don't want you to be stressed into some sort of a of an artificial existence where you think, oh, Christianity is a lot more fun than anything in the world. Christianity means pain. It means you're going to be separated from things that you truly enjoyed doing. I was talking to Jim Newsom the other day, and Jim said, I never try to tell kids that doing drugs is not fun. Because it is. It, 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 it feels good to do drugs. And so he says, I never try to impress on them that it doesn't feel good. Because it does. He says, but they know the beginning of it, and I know the end of it. And the scripture always talks from the end of time. See, it knows how the plot comes out. And so it sees what we have in this world in light of what it turns into. And if you are a Christian, if you've decided to follow Christ, there's going to be some things that you're going to have to give up. And let me beg you to make that choice. You see, some people believe that you can have Christ and have the world. And those people, of all people, are the most miserable on earth. I mean to tell you, when they're having a good time, they feel guilty. And when they're deep in spiritual things, they wish they were having a good time. And so they try, to, they try to go between the ship here. You know, they try to do one and still try to maintain a balance on the other. And they crucify themselves on a question mark. Am I or am I not? They never have made the choice. And if you have never made the choice between Christianity and the world, you've got to make that choice. You can live in the world as a Christian. 
But you can't be of the world and be a Christian. You've got to make that choice. And not to make the choice rips you apart. That's no fun at all. I mean, you can't have the fun of either one of them. Secondly, be real as far as what you're giving up for Christ. If you feel pain and you say that hurts, I want you to admit it to yourself. I want you to say to yourself, you know, I miss those times. I used to have a fantasy about so-and-so, and I missed that. That was a lot of fun just sitting down and thinking about her all the time. But I've given that up for Christ. I've chosen Christ instead. You know, I miss those times when I went out with my buddies and got drunk and the fellowship there. You know, because that was fun. And that fed a side of me. And I missed that. But I've given that up for Christ. I have pain because I've chosen Christ. And I'm not so holy yet that I don't miss that. And I miss the times I could have kept my money and gone out and blown it on something that I really loved. Given a tenth of my income to the church, I miss not having that tenth of my income. You know? And sometimes, yeah, I know there's spiritual blessings, and I've been spiritually blessed, but you know, sometimes I just want to take that, that 10%, and I just want to go spend it on me. Why don't you admit that? That's okay to admit that. It's okay to be realistic. Because Christianity, realistically, causes you some pain. It says right in here. And if you're not going through any pain, what you got is not Christianity, it's plastic. And someday you're going, to go, you're going to fall off the wagon for good. You're going to blow the engine, folks. I knew, I knew a lady in the old country. By the way, I don't come from a foreign country. Somebody this, this, this week said, you come from a foreign country. I keep hearing you talk about the old country. Well, yeah, Indiana. That's where I come from. But see, it is the old country to me because it's a different, different civilization up there than we got down here. And anyhow, but I knew a lady in the old country that never got the grin off her face. I mean, she believed that Christianity was, was equal to a grin. And if you kept a grin on your face, that means you were being faithful. And she'd come say, my house burned down. Well, praise the Lord. My dog got run over with a bus. God is sovereign. She'd come in and say, I've just discovered that I have a terminal illness. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say every day. I felt like I was watching a vaudeville show. You know, let me tell you something. People who do that continually, now maybe sometimes you can see the good that God's going to work out of that. But people who do that continually are more spiritual than Jesus. Because Jesus lost his temper. Jesus was in pain. Jesus showed that he hurt. When he went in and he saw what they had done to his father's house, don't you know he went in and he ripped those... You think he had a grin when he was overthrowing those money, cha money changers? When he was whipping them out of the table, you think he was going... Dee, 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 dee. He wasn't doing that. He was mad. He said, my father's house shall be a house of prayer and you made it a den of thieves. Folks, he was coming on. And he was in pain inside. He was angry. One time when he knew that he was going to go to Jerusalem and he was going to be crucified, he cursed a fig tree. Now, what did that fig tree have to do? That fig tree didn't have any responsibility, but Jesus was angry and he was in pain and he cursed that fig tree and that fig tree wilted. 
He didn't have a grin on his face when he knew he was going to die. And when he went through pain and he was on the cross, he railed at God. Don't try to spiritualize that. He was absolutely and totally felt utterly abandoned. God, why have you forsaken me? You know what? When you're Christian, you can understand why God forsakes the pagans. But you can't understand why God forsakes you. I mean, you've been trying to follow him all the days. You've been trying to do what he wants you to do. And so it's okay to say, God, why? Because you know that's really not a question. That's a cry of pain. And it's okay to cry out in pain. Because you're being equally as spiritual as Jesus was. And if you feel like you've got to go around with a little plastic grin on your face or other people won't believe you have enough faith, something's going to happen. You're going to blow a rod in the engine someday and you're going to fall off because what you had is not real. Christianity causes pain. And the, re the reason we begin to follow Christ is because we believe that that will be more satisfying more real, more deep down joyful than what we're giving up. It's just that simple. But that does not mean that what we give up doesn't hurt. So please, please don't get more spiritual than Jesus. People like that intimidate me. You know that? When people just come up and they, they just say, well, you know, now again, once in a while, God gives people an extra, an extra amount of grace. And that's okay. But friends, when you cannot suffer, when you cannot be broken, when you cannot cry out in pain and still feel that you are a Christian, then what you have is not real. And Jesus never meant for you to have it. Now, let me go on here. It says that let the time that is past... Let me read, read to you here. It says... For time has already passed that is sufficient for you to have carried out the desire of the Gentiles, having pursued a course of sensuality, lusts, drunkenness, carousals, drinking parties, and abominable idolatries. Did you ever dog ear your Bibles for the good parts? That's one of the good parts there, see? You just read that over and over again. Go back and say, oh, let me picture that. If you're doing that, you haven't made the choice yet. You're still kind of going back and forth. It says the time is already already come for you to find and what this means is the emptiness in that kind of lifestyle folks you've indulged in that most of you have indulged in that kind of thing don't be telling me you haven't most of you have indulged in that kind of thing and if that was really satisfying you would not be here today you would not be here today don't kid yourself about that it's not that it's not fun is that it can't fill you up. It doesn't stick to your ribs. It is not satisfying. And what the Bible is saying is, you got to realize that. I mean, all you've gone through is enough time for you to have learned that that's not what God has for you. And then it says, and, and, and basically, somebody who's learned this is not basically attracted to that any longer. What this is, is a plea for maturity here. You know, I used, to, I used to think dirty jokes were cute. And now I don't even think they're funny anymore. People who sit around and tell dirty jokes and wink at one another, I, just, I look at them and I think, boy, those, those people are immature. You know, it's just not funny anymore. I used to think, 
But I used to think Phil Donahue, now listen, was the intellectual giant of America. I think the guy's missing a gear. You know what? I think he is. Because he is so broad, he cannot land anywhere except against people who have landed somewhere. See? And I used to just think that was so mature. I think that's just a little childish. I really do. And the Bible says, when I was a child, I thought like a child, I behaved as a child, but when I became a man, what did I do? I gave up childish ways, didn't I? And so what the Bible is saying is that, okay, you went through that childhood. Let it be a piece of your past. Grow up now and know what is truly wise and what is truly joyful. And then it says, because, <laughs> you know those friends who can't believe you're not participating in that anymore, and that's part of the pain. Part of the pain of becoming a Christian is knowing that you are going to lose fellowship with people you care about because you can't stand what they're doing anymore. I mean, you just don't care for it. It's not that you condemn them. It's just not you anymore. So part of the pain is realizing you're going to lose that fellowship with those people. And it says those friends who can't understand you, why you're not participating anymore, are going to stand in front of God and give an account someday, just as you are. And then it goes into this, for this reason the gospel is preached even to those who are dead. And basically what it's trying to say there, we've, we covered that last week. Basically what it's trying to say there is that everybody has an equal chance of believing in God as he has presented himself to them so that they are liable to judgment. There are none that have a valid excuse for not following God as they know Him. And then he says, and this is a, just a, a brief point I want to make, verse 7a, the end of all things is at hand. Now, there's a lot of people who look in Scripture and they keep saying Scripture is wrong. It keeps saying that the end is going to come anytime, and that was, what, 1900 years ago. 1900 years ago and how come it hadn't come yet well I want to tell you something I want to give you a perspective this morning the Bible is not wrong when it says the end is near but from the perspective of history you could take a huge column and put on top of that column a little bitty postage stamp and if that column and that postage stamp represented history, the column would be all unwritten history and the postage stamp would recognize the height of the years that we have had in existence in this world recorded history. That's how short that time has been. And the 2,000 years we've had since Christ existed wouldn't even represent the ink on that stamp. When you look at this from a historical perspective and the Bible says the end is near just because he hasn't come in a couple thousand years does not make it inaccurate you're just looking from too tight a perspective you think you think it's a real long you know two couple three years is a long time what if Hal Lindsey is wrong what if Christ doesn't come tomorrow or next day or the next day what if he doesn't come a thousand years from now would the Bible still be right? Is the end near? Yeah, from a historical perspective, the end is near. But I want to tell you something else. You aren't going to wait for him a thousand years. 
You know that? The end is near for you a lot sooner than that. Those of you who can listen to me and can, can understand me have got maybe 50, 60, 70 years tops. You think that's way far away? You ask any 70-year-old person in this congregation how fast that goes. You ask them how fast time goes, especially the older you get. Seventy years left. So the Bible is not wrong. The Bible is telling you the truth. And you will stand in front of God and you will give an account for what you've done. It's just that simple. Okay, let's go on. That first part deals with impure passion. The second part deals with pure passion. It says this. Therefore be of sound judgment and sober spirit for the purpose of prayer. Now above all, now this is where it says above all, it begins to talk about pure passion. Keep fervent in your love for one another. Now I want to tell you what fervent is in the Greek. This is great. I love this. I love this. I'm going to talk about this for a while. Just relax. Fervent love means, it says, for love covers a multitude of sins. I'll, I'll do the whole thing. Fervent in Greek comes from the word ektenes. Ek meaning um, out and tenes meaning to stretch. Fervent love literally means to stretch out. The way you can tell whether or not you have fervent love is if you're in one place and the person you love is in another place, you haven't got fervent love. Fervent love is the kind where you cannot see that person without yourself stretching out and seeing yourself in that person. What did God do in Jesus Christ? God stretched himself out in Jesus Christ. And those who stand in Christ do not, are not seen as individuals, they are seen through Christ. When God looks at you and you're a Christian, He doesn't, He doesn't, His, his love is not blind. He, you know, I've, I've seen this silly kind of theology. This drives me nuts. Well, God just doesn't even know you sin. <laughs> he just thinks, oh, He just thinks everything's okay. Everything's just white sheet. Everything pure, pure, pure. God's not stupid. He knows when we sin. God's realistic. He knows everything we do. It's not that love is blind. It's that love is stretched out. It is extended. Fervent love is a kind of love that extends yourself. Now listen. When God sees us, He sees us accurately, but He sees us through Christ Himself. When you were a little kid, did you ever get one of those butterscotch candies from your grandmother? And on a cloudy day, hold that cellophane up to your eyes, and everything all of a sudden became sunny, didn't it? And it wasn't that you couldn't make out what was in front of you. You could. I, I see people going around with, with uh, yellow glasses sometimes these days. But everything looks sunny to them. And it's not that they can't see the images. They see the images accurately but yet they see them through something that gives them a different countenance. And when we stand in Christ, 
God is seeing us through what Jesus Christ has done. And that's how we are pronounced righteous. Not because we are, but because it makes us look differently to God. It makes us have a different aura, a different countenance. That's how much God loved us. And when you, for God so loved the world that He gave, you know what? That Bible could be translated Himself. He gave Himself that whosoever should be seen through Him should not perish but have, have eternal life. And when we love each other, when you really love something, you know what? They can't do too much rotten in your eyes. I mean, if you love somebody, if, if you don't like somebody, they can't do too much right. You realize that, don't you? I mean, they could get up and save the world. And you could say, he did it for selfish purposes. I know that guy. But when you love somebody, you cannot see that person apart from your own self-interest. You extend yourself. You stretch yourself out so that when you see that person, you are seeing your own interests. In Matthew 22, 39, what's it say? You shall love your neighbor as what? Yourself. See? Take that literally. That's what God's love is. That's what Christian love is. That person is not separate from you. That person is you. That person's your family. That person is the one to whom you have extended yourself in Christ. In Galatians 6.1, I want you to read this. I want you to read this. Galatians 6.1, it says this, Brethren, even if a man is caught in any trespass or any sin, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in the spirit of gentleness. Now watch this. Each one looking to yourself, lest you too be tempted. What does God want us to see when we see another person we love? He wants us to see us. He wants us to see that we are not separate from that person, that that person is connected to us. And that is fervent love. It's a love like God loves us. We cannot be separated from Christ. Read Romans 8. Neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in who? Christ Jesus our Lord. See, he stretched himself out. That is so important a principle. And so therefore, when you find yourself in Christ, when you're committed to Christ, even if you fall away, God still looks at you through the sacrifice of His Son. It is solid. And there is not a whole lot you can do wrong that God will not say, Oh, it hurts me. It kills me to see Him doing that. But I can't stop loving Him. No matter what I do, I cannot stop myself loving Him. When somebody you love does something wrong, you don't count it right. You don't condone it. But friends, your heart is right there, isn't it? And you pray with earnestness because when he hurts himself, who does he hurt? He hurts you. When she hurts herself, who does she hurt? She hurts you. That's fervent love to be stretched out. Okay. I, you know, 
it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's just a, a matter of fact that when we can hear ourselves explaining why somebody is in trouble or trying to get in somebody else's shoes, we've got that fervent love. That's a trademark of it. Let me tell you a story. I don't have a whole lot of stories this morning, but I got this one. I like this one. A Jewish guy, a Catholic guy, and a Protestant guy standing on a corner. <laughs> I just love these. Depending on whether the Catholic or Protestant is Jew or Jew is telling it, you know, it doesn't. It comes out different. But let's say a Protestant is telling it because a Protestant is. These guys are these guys are having a, having a time, and they're standing on a street corner, and all of a sudden, a rabbi comes down the street and turns into the saloon. And this Protestant guy looks at his Jewish friend. And he says, "That was your rabbi." And the Jewish guy kind of stands there and paws the ground. He says. He ought to be ashamed of himself. You ought to go to your rabbi and you ought to tell him that those saloon places are places of carousing and drunkenness and bad language. It's awful. They gamble in there. They smoke in there. It's, it's horrible in there. You go right up to your rabbi and you tell him that. Well, the Jewish guy's kind of ashamed, and, and, but they go on with the conversation. Lo and behold, a few minutes later, the priest comes down the street. He turns right into the saloon. The Protestant guy looks at him and says, that was your priest. He says, you ought to just go right up to that, that priest and you ought to tell him that's, that, that women are picked up in there. It's a, it's a place of licentiousness. It's a place of deep sin. It's, it's horrible. He ought not be in there. You go tell him that next time you see him. And the Catholic guy's just kind of ashamed. He just kind of paws around the ground. He just doesn't know what to say. Well, they go on to their conversation. You know how this is going to go, don't you? Lo and behold, this guy's minister comes down the street. His pastor... He goes in the same saloon. And there's this long silence. And he looks at his two friends and he says, You know, there must be somebody real sick in there. <laughs> now, when you, when you find yourself doing that for people, then you know your love is stretched out. That you can't just condemn somebody and have separateness in that condemnation that you have to somehow get yourself in there, and if he suffers, you're going to suffer. And so you'll find yourself making excuses for people, not making excuses so much as trying to explain what they've done and then praying fervently for their repentance. Okay, let's go on. Man, I, I'm taking too long. But this is good stuff. So the first, the first thing is that you extend yourself. You extend yourself. The second thing is... That you export yourself. I'm getting into like Charles Stanley and John MacArthur. They always have the same thing and start with the same uh, letter. I thought I'd be clever this week and do that for you. Pure passion is a matter of extending yourself. And then it's a matter of exporting yourself. You know the difference between pure passion and impure passion? Pure passion will make you bring out what God has given you inside. The word in there is various... Uh, uh, the word in, in the, the gifts, what it talks about gifts, manifold grace of God. And what it means is the various gifts God has given you. When you serve one another, you are to serve with the various gifts God has given you. And when you find yourself in fervent love for a person, you want to use that gift because that's a, that's a grace of God. And you want to be happy in serving that person in that way. When you have an impure passion, you find yourself jailed up and confined. 
You find yourself wanting to please the other person, but not knowing how to serve the other person. When you've got pure passion, boy, it starts up your engine. You're creative. You say, what can, how can I best serve this person? And then you discover your spiritual gift. And it sets you, oh, it sets you on fire. When you're using your spiritual gift for people, you find yourself with more energy instead of less energy. If your passion is not pure, you will find yourself totally drained. If your passion is something that you do well and you're acting on your spiritual gift, you're going to find yourself totally creative. And you export that. You don't go into yourself and say, Oh, Lord, what'd you give me? I'm you, you just start, you give it to another person. And then, lastly, the scripture says that you are to serve in the strength of God the utterances of God. And so you not only... You not only extend and export, you extract. See, you get what God has for you. God did not put you down here and say, go to it. God put you down here as a pipeline for him. Scripture says, don't tell people your own opinions. Use the utterances of God. And soon that you find yourself developing a pipeline or you just completely wash out. Because if you give and give and give what is you, there's not going to be anything left, is there? But if you extract what is of God and give it to people, you keep that flow going. You know the difference between the Nile River and the Dead Sea? The Nile River has an outlet and the Dead Sea has no outlet. That's the difference. The difference between a live Christian and a dead Christian is a dead Christian has no outlet. He's not extracting anything from above, has no place to go. When P, I, don't know what to, I don't know what to say to you folks when you, when you say to me, I like that message. Because you know what? I, I usually just kind of grin and say, well, I did too, you know, looking like some sort of idiot. But friends, it's a privilege just to convey to you the utterances of God. It's not me. I'm not standing up here. I've wrestled with him all week. I've loved him all week. He's given me what to say. But there's nothing taken out of my heart. It just energizes me. There's no more exciting day in the week for me than Sunday. No more exciting day. And I'm no more energized in any other part of the week than during this time. Because it's not me. It's God. So when you are using, when you have pure passion, you're not using what you got. I mean, you're giving it in your own unique way through your own unique gifts. There's a, there's a willingness in your heart, but there's something coming out of you that is not you. It's God. And that's the meaning of them verses. Let's pray. Father, we cannot thank you enough for your love. Because we know what it cost you. We know that it was no simple gift, as Christianity is no simple thing. We know that there was no empty-headed, well, I've got plenty of it, so let them have a little of it. I even got more than they need. There was none of that. There was something that absolutely hurt you to give it. And it came as a great price. So let us not picture us following in the footsteps of Christ as somebody who trips down the trail picking posies 
and just hadn't got anything better to do, let us picture it as a victory in a valiant spiritual effort so that you can extend yourself even farther than you have. Help us to make the choice. Help us to undergo the pain that we need to. And then help us, Lord, to extend ourselves to people and to export the gifts that you've given us and to extract what you have for us so that we are not drained, but you are given. In Jesus' name, amen. God has laid something on your heart that you'd like to pray about after the service. Please come forward and pray with myself or another elder. And uh, one of these days, I really am going to start using this, uh, this stool. I keep saying I'm going to sit down and teach like Jesus. Keep finding out there's more of John the Baptist in me than there is Jesus. <laughs>